Well, many of you talked to me and some talked to Jill, my wife, last weekend um, after my message. And uh, many of you seemed to think that I was in trouble. And um, some of you seemed to think that my wife should be pretty frustrated with me. And um, so I guess I should report to you that my wife left me this week. Well, she did. She flew to Denver to spend some time with our Denver kids and our grandkids. So I've been batching it the last few days. And, but she will be back on Tuesday. Just so you know, she's been married to me for 40 years. She's heard all this before. And she's fine. Really, we're fine. Thank you for your uh, concern for our relationship. But we're fine. She uh, knows that I'm joking and so forth. And I know which jokes I can't tell. And so... Um, we, we, don't, um, we don't tell those jokes. Anyway, but um, we have been in this series called Relationship Refresh, and today we're going to talk about socializing outside of social media. And this week I was reading the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. I was reading about the creation account, and I've read it many times before, but something kind of jumped out at me this week. In chapter 1, God creates light. And after he does, it says he saw the light and he knew that it was good. And later, God creates land. And after he does, it says, and God saw that this was good. And then he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And again, it says, and God saw that this was good. Then uh, God creates fish and birds. And it says, God saw that this was good. And next, God creates the land animals. And after he does, it says, and God saw that this was good. And then God creates man. He finishes creation. Now look at what it says in verse 31. God looked at everything that he had made, and God saw that everything was very good. So six times in chapter one, as we read the creation story, God creates, and then the passage says, God saw that this was good. And then God puts Adam in the garden, and in chapter 2, verse 18, we read something that changes just a little bit. Look at what verse 18 says. Then the Lord God said, I see that this is not good for the man to be alone. I see that it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make the companion he needs one just right for him. For the first time, something was not good. It is not good for man to be alone. So God fixes it. And he did something really, really good. He created women. Now, I had a couple of thoughts as I focused on this passage saying that it was not good for man to be alone. First, I thought, God is so right. He is so right. I mean, man needs woman. Left to ourselves, we men would be more like untamed savages than decent, sensitive human beings. 
I have no idea how off track my life would be without Jill. She is a consistent check on my social insensitivities. She's a consistent check to my self-serving male perspective on life, not to mention what color combinations work and which don't. And then there's how her heart for God and her discernment about people often help me serve Jesus better and serve you better. Thankfully, for all of us guys, God didn't get carried away with patting himself on the back for how great creation was, but he saw the single flaw and he did something to save the world from men left to themselves. And by the way, I'm not being sexist because I think that if God had created Eve first, he still would have said, it is not good for her to be alone. And I think you ladies benefit from the males that God has placed in your life also. So first I thought, I agree with God. I agree, especially while my wife's gone, that men need women and women need men. But the other thought that caused me to stop reading long enough to let it sink in is that being alone is not a good thing. Sure, we all need some times of solitude, some times when we are alone and think deeply, but long-term, being alone is not a good thing. God made us in his image, which means that like him, we are relational creatures. In the beginning, it was this literal paradise of perfect, fulfilling relationships. God was with them. He was walking with them and interacting with them in the garden. And they were interacting with each other. And they had this great relationship. It was all perfect. So where did loneliness come from? How did the demon of loneliness that haunts many of our hearts today alienate us from the others that we so desperately need? I should pause and say, loneliness isn't always brought on by us or by our choices. And I understand that. So this is not a guilt trip. But as the story unfolds, the story of Adam and Eve, as it unfolds, it's interesting to see. We see the damage of alienation creeping into their world. Adam and Eve sin, and then they hide from God out of fear of being caught. And then Adam blames Eve for his disobedience, which clearly drives a wedge into their previously flawless relationship. And that deep relationship is now damaged. It's damaged by alienation and by blame, and by distrust, and by shame, and by loneliness. And so the problem that God tried to solve has come back in full force. And many struggle with loneliness. They struggle with being alone. In the 1970s and the 1980s, the percentage of Americans who responded that they regularly or frequently felt lonely was between 11 and 20%. That percentage varied depending on the study, but today that has grown to nearly 30%, and it's as high as 45% for older adults. And it's affecting our health. 
Loneliness increases the odds of an early death by 26%. That's twice what obesity increases our odds of early death. Loneliness is being considered a quiet and even deadly epidemic. Now, why is this a growing challenge? Well, there are two primary challenges we face. Unlike people in the past, we are no longer doing life in community. We're no longer doing life in tribes and in villages, and we're not joining clubs or groups as much as they did in the past. And that's why our growth groups are a huge part of our vision here at Impact. We think that our growth groups are a great place for you to build relationships and to build community. It's also why we're providing the landing as a place where people who have never even thought about coming to our church service can hang out, where they can meet new friends and where they can find community. But the other force that's making us more alone is technology. It's technology. We thought that technology would simplify our life. We thought that technology would give us more time to spend together, but it didn't happen that way. And then we thought that social media would help us feel more connected. But the studies show the problem with social media is this. It's being connected and alone at the same time being connected and alone at the same time. Sherry Turkle is a psychologist, an author, and a college professor. And she had authored two pioneering books on how the digital age could expand the human spirit and identity. And in 1996, she gave her first TED Talk called Celebrating Our Life on the Internet. She was excited as a psychologist to, te to tell why people were learning uh, uh, and to take what people were learning in the virtual world and apply it to their physical world. She even made the cover of Wired magazine, and she was described as, quote, the evangelist of the internet. But that has all changed. Her more recent research revealed something else. It has led her to a more recent book, Alone Together, and a TED Talk in which she says that she probably will never be on the cover of Wired magazine again because she sees a problem. She describes how our true selves are being lost and we are losing the ability to make real-life connections. These devices that we all carry around can diminish any real intimacy because they are creating only an edited way of sharing ourselves. In her TED Talk called Connected But Alone, Sherry Turkle says, we're lonely, but we're afraid of intimacy. And so from social networks to sociable robots, we're designing technologies that will give us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. She goes on to say that our devices give us three gratifying fantasies. She says the phones in our pockets are changing our minds. They're changing our hearts because they help us to believe these three gratifying fantasies. The first is this. We can put our attention wherever we want it to be. At any given moment, we can put our attention wherever we want it to be, which is why people can attend business meetings and check their email at the same time or why they can sit in church and text at the same time. Yes, I see you. The second gratifying fantasies that our devices give us 
is the fantasy that we will always be heard. On social media, all of our opinions are equal, and we think we can always express ourselves because we can just post on social media and people will listen, people will pay attention. And then the last fantasy that she says we have come to believe is our devices teach us that we will never be alone. We will never be alone. She says, this last one is central to changing our psyche because the moment that people are alone, even for a few seconds, they become anxious, they panic, they fidget, and they reach for a device. Just think about the last time you were in line at the supermarket and the people around you who in that quiet moment of aloneness pick up their phone and connect to the internet and um, think about what you have done and what others have done sitting at red lights. You see, being alone, it has begun to feel like a problem that needs to be solved. And so people try to solve it by connecting. But here in this situation, connecting is more a symptom than a cure. It expresses, but it doesn't solve the underlying problem. And so it's very possible that social media is actually making us feel more alone even though we are more connected. And part of the problem is we assume everyone else has such a better life than we do. We assume that they all have more friends than we have, that they're prettier than we are, that they're smarter than we are, and we base it all on their social media page. I mean, even though you may take a uh, picture five or six times before you find one that you think you look good enough in to post online, you assume that all of them are just taking one picture and posting it because after all, they really are that good looking. And you read about the one fun time they've had in three months and you assume they have much more of a social life than you do. And they post something really wise and you think you could never think that deeply, but you don't realize that they stole it from something someone else posted. And so you sit there staring at your phone or your device feeling more lonely than before you connected. And here's what I wanna say. Social media isn't evil. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it has benefits. I mean, I can stay connected with people I know around the world. I can keep up with what they're doing. I can keep up with what other ministries are doing, and it's great. But I was made for relationships, not for screen time. I was made for relationships, not screen time. I need real friends, not just a bigger friends list. And can we just be honest about our friends list? Is it just me, but I have all of these people who want to be my friends on Facebook, but they don't want to be my friends in real life? You know what I mean? You get this friend request and you think, you didn't like me when we hung out together, but you want to be my friend on Facebook, you know? So our friends list don't mean much anyway. And that reminds me of a scripture from Proverbs 20, verse 6. It says this, you might call many people your friends, but it is hard to find someone who can really be trusted. 
It's hard to find someone who can really be trusted. So let's look at how to socialize outside of social media. Let me give you some suggestions that might help you get past your loneliness and find some friends who can really be trusted. The first suggestion is this, find time for talking instead of typing. Find time for talking instead of typing. Someone was telling me a while back that there is this new skill people are working on mastering. They are trying to master the skill of making eye contact while continuing to text somebody else. And I've been watching since this person told me this. I watched a couple of nights ago, this couple in uh, the booth across from me in a restaurant and she was staring in his eyes, nodding while he was talking and the whole time under the table, she's doing this. She's texting someone else. He thought that she was listening. She wasn't, you know, and that happens in all sorts of situations. Many people have become experts at um, making eye contact while not really paying attention. The other thing I keep hearing, people keep saying, you know, I would rather text than talk. I would rather text than talk. They don't want you to call them. They want you to text them. But one of Jesus' closest friends said something we sometimes skim over that might be relevant here. Look at what John said in 2 John chapter 1. He said, I have many things to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so we can be full of joy. There are certain things that are really great through text messages. Last night, just before I came in to speak, I received a text message from my wife. It says, I love you and I'm praying for you. I, I don't bring my phone in here, but I'm sure that when I go in my office, there'll be another text message from her saying a similar thing. She loves me and she's praying for me. And last night, just before I came in here to tell people to text less, I got this text message from my wife that made me feel good. I mean, it was kind of a digital hug, you know? And I liked that. I liked that. I thought that was a good thing. And so there are some good things about it, but there's other times when texting or tweeting or posting creates all sorts of misunderstandings because so much of communication involves tone of voice or facial expressions. And I've offended people online because they read an attitude into something that I posted that I never intended. And Jill and I have had arguments because one of us perceived a tone in a text that the other didn't intend. So John says that there are some things that are just better face to face. And some of you need to find time to sit face to face with someone and really hear them, really hear their heart. And I think this is especially true for our family relationships and for our close friendships. So let me make a few suggestions. Develop device-free times and places. Develop device-free times and places. If my kids were still at home, I think that we would make sure that all devices were put away completely and never brought to the family meal table. No one could bring a device to the family meal table. Jill and I are trying to do this. And I think times like when you're playing a game with friends or family, or even when you're watching a movie together, it's a great time to say, this is a device-free 
time. My relationship with God is one of my most important relationships. It is my most important relationship. So you know what I figured out? I have to be careful while I'm doing my Bible reading and my prayer time because I do that on my device. And you know what happens? There's been many times I'm spending time with God and a notification pops up and interrupts my time with God. And so I've had to shut off notifications so that I don't get interrupted in my time with him. What are the times and places that you need to put away your device and focus on relationships? Maybe evenings out with friends, maybe family holiday gatherings, maybe your growth group time, maybe an entire vacation ought to be advice-free time. What should be on your list? The second suggestion is have real unedited conversations. Real unedited conversations. Now, if you are one of the people who says, I would rather text than talk, Here's my theory. This isn't from anything I've read or from uh, someone else, but here's my theory. The reason you would rather text than talk is you want the ability to edit your conversation. And that's what we do on our devices. You know, you can type something and then you can go, oh no, and delete it and retype it and say it a little more carefully, say it a little nicer, say it a little more clearly, say something different. And you want to edit your conversations. But the fact of the matter is unedited conversations often lead to problems. They often lead to a few problems, but they also lead to deeper relationships. It's unedited conversations that allow us to get closer to people because we have to explain ourselves. We have to be able to think through what we just said or hear from others why what we just said concerns them or why they disagree with it or why they agree with it. And sometimes they hear us say something unedited and they say something and it just opens up some doors that don't happen when we're just doing it this way. You see, deep friendships have unedited conversations. Deep relationships have unedited conversations. And if all of your conversations are edited, no wonder you feel lonely. No wonder you feel like no one understands you or hears you because you've only given them an edited version of yourself. So find time for talking instead of typing. Secondly, opt for inviting instead of waiting. What Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount applies to our friendships too. We call it the golden rule. Look at what it says. Treat others as you want them to treat you. This is what the law and the prophets are all about. Treat others as you want them to treat you. We, we quote that many times, but we leave out the second part of that. This is what the law and the prophets are all about. Jesus said that another time. He said, uh, when they asked him what the two greatest commands were, he gave the two greatest commands, and then he said, all of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So he said a similar thing here. When, he, when they asked him about that, he said the first greatest commandment was to love God, and the other was to love the others around you. So we let God love us, and we let God love others through us, and the way to love others is to treat them the way that we want to be treated. 
I, I remember a man in one of our churches in California, and he would stand off by himself like this. He always had this really angry, mean look on his face. His arms were always crossed, and he was always by himself. The look on his face was kind of a, I dare you to come talk to me. And most people didn't go talk to him. And eventually, he said that he was thinking about leaving our church. You know why? Because our church was really unfriendly. That's what he said. As a matter of fact, he told this story about how three couples had stood about eight feet away from him and they had been talking about where they were going to go to lunch after the services together and they never thought to invite him and his wife. Well, that's because he was an angry guy. But let's be honest, some of you have had that experience. Some of you have had a story like that. I know I do. I've heard couples talking about going to lunch together after church and they haven't invited me. And honestly, there's been a few times when I've been hurt by that. And I have even pouted about it a few times while I was at lunch alone or alone with Jill. But here's the thing. You know those times when I was pouting about it? You know what I hadn't done? I hadn't invited anybody to lunch. I hadn't issued an invitation. You know what my angry friend never did? He never walked up to anyone and said, hey, let's go to lunch together. He, he just said the church was unfriendly. And so opt for inviting rather than waiting to be invited. Here are two suggestions. Become the fun friend. Become the fun friend. We all have one, don't we? We all have a fun friend in our circle of friends. They always seem to have a plan. They always have, to have an idea for doing something fun. Let's go to a movie together or let's go to a ball game or let's go to dinner or let's go on vacation together. And we all have a fun friend and we love our fun friend. So why don't you become the fun friend? Why don't you make the plan? Why don't you invite people over to your house for a game night? Or why don't you uh, get some people together here at the landing for some game? Or why don't you get some friends together and rent a place at the Outer Banks for this, this summer? And why don't you walk right up to someone after this service and say, hey, let's go out for lunch and let's have some fun together. You do the inviting rather than waiting to be invited. By the way, the reason that many people don't do the inviting is they're terrified that they're going to invite someone and the person is going to say no. Can I just tell you, get over that. It's going to happen. People have plans sometimes. People don't have money sometimes to do what you're suggesting. But if you do the inviting, sometimes people will say yes. And sometimes you will have fun together, so invite them. Secondly, Notice those who are alone. Notice those who are alone. I remember several years ago, the church that I served in Arizona decided to become a host site for a nationwide conference that was simulcast around the country. And I was invited to go as the lead pastor to a gathering of pastors before that event. And so I flew to a city I hadn't been to and I um, went to this really fancy place where they were having this reception, and I walked in. There were about 150 pastors in the room, 
And I was standing there looking for somebody I knew. I was pretty sure there was going to be somebody I knew there, but I'm looking around for somebody I knew. And about that time, there was a tap on my shoulder. And I turned, and standing right next to me was one of my heroes. It was the lead pastor at one of the largest churches in America. And um, he said, hey, why don't you join our group? And he invited me into this circle that was having a conversation there. And I'm standing there thinking, this pastor of a church of 25,000 noticed that I was alone. Can we do that? Can we do that at church? I mean, can you notice the people who are alone? Notice who's sitting alone and ask them if you can sit with them. Notice who's standing alone before or after the service and go talk to them. Could you stop talking to the people you already know and go talk to some people you don't? We're beginning again to make sure you all are aware that we, we want you to pay attention to what we call the three-minute rule around here. Okay, here's the three-minute rule. If you are an active core part of our church or you've been regularly attending our church, you're not allowed to talk to anybody you know for the first three minutes after service ends. Here's why. The people you don't know are guests. The people who are here today for the first time, they are leaving in the first three minutes. They're gone after three minutes. Your friends will still be here. You can talk to them, but would you say to the people in your growth group, please don't be offended, but I'm not going to talk to you for at least three minutes, maybe five minutes after service ends, because I'm going to talk to people who are alone, people who are new, people who don't know anybody here. That would be a great way for you to make some friends and to have some relationships. Now, before we leave this topic of opting for inviting instead of waiting, let me say something to some of you who have been hurt in relationships. When we have been hurt, uh, we tend to want to pull back. We want to tend to protect ourselves and to isolate ourselves. But if you're going to move past your loneliness, if you're going to move past the hurt that you feel, you need to realize that what God noticed about Adam is true of you too. It is not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. So inviting instead of waiting for the person who is uh, waiting for the person who has been hurt means that you risk relationships again. It means you get in a group. It means that you find new friends. One more suggestion for socializing outside of social media. Choose friends carefully instead of casually. Choose friends carefully instead of casually. You don't want friends you want trustworthy friends. And look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. You realize what this says. Some of you who are in a really bad place right now are there because you have surrounded yourself with bad friends. And some of you who have isolated yourself and you're not spending time with anybody except yourself, the reason that you're in a bad place right now is you're a bad friend to yourself. 
And bad friends, bad company corrupts good character. And you have friends who are leading you down the wrong paths, friends who are hurting you rather than helping you, and they're using you rather than helping you. And so we need to choose our friends carefully. So ask yourself two questions. Who do you have in your life that's helping you grow? Do you have friends in your life that are encouraging you towards Jesus? Do you have anyone in your life who you have given permission to call you on the things that you are doing that might not be wise? I remember many years ago, uh, I was leading a retreat, and I had invited a pastor friend to come and speak at it. And we were getting ready to leave that retreat, and we were in my van going, uh, taking him back to the airport. And he was kind of quiet. And about 15 minutes away from the retreat site, Dave said, you know, Steve, I just need to say something to you. That joke that you told, that joke I think was really inappropriate. He said it was borderline off color. And he said, Steve, I just think you're better than that. And my first response was to think, wow, you know, He's really overboard on this. There was nothing wrong with that. And, you know, if he knew the people that were there, he wouldn't think it was inappropriate. And but about 10 minutes later, I realized he was right. He was right. So who are the people in your life that you can do that with or that can do that to you? This scripture isn't in your notes, but Proverbs 27 verse 6 says this, the slap of a friend can be trusted to help you but the kisses of an enemy are nothing but lies. The slap of a friend can be trusted to help you. So who are the friends in your life that you've given permission to slap you? Who are the friends that can help you grow and get better? You need to spend time with them. And uh, who is it that when you spend time with them, uh, when you leave them, you feel closer to Jesus, you feel more motivated to follow him. And by the way, if you have friends that are constantly pulling you down, friends that are constantly being negative, it might even be Christian friends who are being negative about the church or being negative about other things going on, who are the people who are constantly pulling you down or pulling you away from Jesus? If you've got people like that in your life, you need to replace them with friends that help you grow. By the way, the very best place to make friends who can help you grow is by getting into one of our growth groups. It's by getting into one of our growth groups. You can stop by the Next Step uh, Canopy after services and they will help you. You can talk to Pastor Seth and he will help you with that. But you have, the studies tell us, you have six months to make six friends or you won't stay in our church. Six months to make six friends or you won't stay here. And the best place for making friends is in a growth group. The other question is this, who do you have in your life that you are helping to grow? Who is it that you are helping to grow? Has it occurred to you yet that someone needs you to be their friend? They need you to be their trustworthy friend, a friend that can help them grow closer to Jesus, a friend that encourages them towards Christ, a friend who is able to get close enough to them to love them through their problems and their painful times. So who do you have in your life that you are helping to grow? We need to conclude. But in conclusion, our world is so busy that we just seem to be pushing aside real friendships. And social media has fooled us into believing 
that we can be with one person face to face and connected to the world at the same time. You know, I can be at home with my wife watching TV while also being in a digital conversation with my sister in Iowa and at the same time be messaging with a friend across town. And the result of that is no one ever gets the best of me. They never get the best of me because I'm trying to stay so connected that I'm not really engaged with anyone. And I think that we will regret that someday when we lose the people that we really should be close to in relationships. And this is, isn't a new problem. It just has new expressions. Over 70 years ago, a man named Charles Hanson Town wrote a poem titled Around the Corner. Let me share it with you. Around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and weeks rush on and before I know it, a year has gone. And I never see my old friend's face for life is swift and a terrible race. He knows I like him just as well as in the days when I rang his bell and he rang mine. We were younger then and now we are busy tired men. Tired of playing a foolish game, tired of trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I say, I will call on Jim just to show that I'm thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes, and the distance between us grows and grows. Around the corner, yet miles away. Here's a telegram, sir. Jim died today, and that's what we get and deserve in the end. Around the corner, a vanished friend. Is there a friend you haven't spoken to in a while? Why not connect with them today? Is there a friendship that's been damaged? Why not try to mend it today? And the best way to deal with loneliness is to reconnect with your friends and to get face-to-face with them, even if it's FaceTime face-to-face. But if you're sitting here and you feel lonely and you feel alone, there's something I want to remind you of, and that's this. Jesus considers you his friend. Jesus considers you his friend. You are on his friends list. Look at what Colossians chapter 1 says. At one time, you were separated from God. You were his enemies in your minds, and the evil things you did were against God. But now God has made you his friends again. He did this through Christ's death. He made us his friends again through Jesus. Jesus came so that we could be friends with God. And perhaps your friendship with Jesus isn't what it should be. Again, you can stop by the Next Steps canopy, and we can pray for you there, or you can talk to us, but please, let's spend some time strengthening our relationship first with Jesus and then with each other. Let's make sure that we socialize outside of social media. Let's pray together. Mm